Hello and welcome to Heat This Podcast with me, Jeremy Charfus. This is the time of year when, if things were normal, I'd be in the southwest of Ireland. There's an international audio festival I go to, if at all possible, in a little mountain village called Kilfinnan. Of course, this year it isn't possible. But the Hearsay Festival is taking place regardless online. And so, seeing as I generally manage to get one or two stories from Ireland while I'm there, I thought I'd try to do it again this time online. So I arranged a chat to Aaron Kappel, who I originally counted online through a friend I made in Kilfinnan. Anyway, Aaron Kappel runs a very successful spice company based in County Cork. Not the first place you might think of when you think of spices. The company is called Green Saffron, which prompts an obvious first question. Well, you see, uh, it's actually a name that my, my mother came up with when I was starting up the company. Um, so saffron is my favorite spice, and it Im- implies a sort of certain sort of premium quality, you might say. And green, because I'm now living in Ireland, and we're all about uh, biodiversity and sustainability and all those things. So um, green saffron just seemed to make sense. And it's a bit quirky, because just like you've asked the question, Jeremy, why green um, saffron? So it kind of um, pricks up people's attention as well. Do you know what I mean? So yeah. green saffron. Yeah, sure, sure. Okay, that makes sense. Um, and and how, <laughs> how did it all start then? Yeah, gosh, do you know, um, all started from a, a farmer's market stall uh, in, uh, in Mahan Point in County Cork. So I came to Ireland and did a cookery course here in Ballymaloo. Oh. And then I went up to work at the house um, under the f- most fantastic woman in the world, Myrtle Allen, Mrs. Allen. <laughs> um, I had a fantastic relationship with her. I was so blessed to get to know her like I did. And we got on like a house on fire. And anyway, so I was uh, working as a cook up at uh, Ballymaloo House. And then in January, February, they tend to let or used to let the, the chefs go um, because, uh, you know, the work was not there. Uh, but because I just moved all my sort of uh, chattels and fettles, etc., over from the UK to Ireland, she sort of took pity on me and said, well, Aaron, you can come and help me with my book. So I began to help her with her local good uh, food producers of Cork. So that got me into the whole sort of um, artisan sort of food um, culture, you might say. So that was a fantastic thing. And then a farmer's market, a friend started up a farmer's market. Initially, I didn't really have any thought about doing anything. And I go, well, I don't really have, you know, I'm not Irish. I don't have, I, anyway, long and the short of it is I um, called my cousin, or called my father. My father put me in touch with my cousin. And I received a little um, 50, 15 kilo uh, package of spices uh, from India. And, um, and then that's how it all kicked off, really. I, I think, I think we, should, we should perhaps explain, because, of course, you sound completely English, um, even though you're in Ireland. So your family is from India? Yeah, correct, exactly that. So my dad was Indian. Uh, he was a doctor. In, we were based in Scunthorpe. I grew up in Scunthorpe. And my mum was Yorkshire. Um, not English, but Yorkshire. <laughs> um, she was a nurse in SRN in Leicester, and she met up with dad in the 60s when dad came over as a doctor, um, you know, doctors and nurses. And um, I'm one of three boys. Um, I'm the middle son. Yeah. Right. So you had cousins who could send you um, spices direct from India. Yeah. You see, that was a beautiful thing, Jeremy, because having just done this course at Ballymaloo, which is teaching you all about how to source the best produce and to think about biodiversity and bioculture and all these sort of things. So this was buzzing in my mind. 
And then to find out that one of your family is actually linked with the spice trade was just uh, a phenomenal thing. Okay, so your cousin was already in the spice trade. Yeah. Now, on the periphery, um, because everyone's got a cousin that can do something in India, I'm sure. (laughs) But um, if you you have Indian heritage. But yeah, he was on the periphery. But what we managed to do, we um, uh, started off with this small package and we started by buying in the local stores in Uttar Pradesh. Within a year, we were back to Mundis. Now, Mundis are the farmers' markets, um, whereby the farmers come with the rabri or the karif crops, so either the the winter or the spring crops, to a certain location in their district, and that's when they buy and sell and trade their spices. But within three years, we're actually back to farm. And it only stands to my cultural heritage because I'm very fortunate, uh, the family over there, because uh, the introductions that we got made... How has the spice, well, we're going to come on to green saffron today, but, but from mm-hmm. your early days in the farmer's market, how did, how did you see things changing among the people you were selling to? I mean, was this, were they completely familiar with what you were offering? There I was. I was like this Del Boy, essentially, in an Irish farmer's market. A lot of them would just stand there with their, with their arms folded and sort of, you know, looking almost a bit, so, oh, God, what am I doing here? But I was quite the opposite. I was wearing a sort of um, a pink sarong and we had these beautiful smells and we had music playing. So it attracted people. So I think we um, attracted an Irish audience uh, because they were kind of, oh, what's that chap over there doing? Let's go and have a look at him. And I think uh, the reason that it kicked off in the way that it did is... Um, there was an appreciation here in Ireland of someone having a go and and someone trying. And there's a real Irish spirit of uh, to nurture something. Um, And I think that gave us certainly the head start. But what I noticed at the store, and to come to your point, which was which was fantastic, is more and more families would start to come. So in Ireland, it works, you know, the, the brother, the sister, the uncle, the mother, the aunt, they all start to chat. And so we got more and more families coming to our store. And to me, possibly more importantly, is the mothers that would be returning, the parents that would be returning or the fathers that would be returning would say, oh, crikey, my children, I could never get them to eat anything. But now with your Kanatika Sadia blend, for example, a mild curry blend, um, they're eating everything off the plate. We love it. And so to hear that was just fantastic because here I am selling spices, which were clearly quite foreign to the local market uh, back, in, back 15 years ago. But to hear that the children are experimenting and the parents are seeing the joy on their children's faces, it was just phenomenal. That's how it started. And then what happened when I was at the stall, I didn't understand the phrase because some people were coming to me cautiously and saying, well, is it strong? And I, how do you mean strong? But strong, they meant, is it hot? Right. So there was always this reticence about spices equal heat. So I was all about, no, spices are all about beautiful, vibrant, fresh flavor. Now, there seems to be, as, a, as spices are becoming more ingrained in, in Irish society, people are starting to understand that actually a bit of heat is quite nice too. So I'm surprised to see the switch from this anil, really 15 years ago, oh gosh, what is this thing, to now, oh yeah, can I have, can I have the jalfrezi, can I have the this, can I have the that? So there's a lot more knowledge, number one, and certainly a lot more uh, willingness to experiment uh, with, with different flavours. And, and this idea that, that, that strong equals... That spicy equals strong equals heat. You, you've you've had to work to to dispel that idea, I guess. And why would anyone look? As I keep saying, I'm very fortunate. I grew up with spices, but in Ireland, in the UK, and wherever, you don't necessarily grow up with spices. 
so to me, when I saw my father with all his little Raja tins um, making the Chana Masala or, or the, the Duli Kismis or whatever he'd be making, you know, all these little teaspoons of these colored uh, powders popping into the pan, that was, that's how I grew up. And, and so to me, spices were about these really beautiful flavors and layering up flavors. Uh, and possibly long before, I was very fortunate again, I'm 51 now, 52 now, that to understand, to layer up the flavors through spicing is a whole different way of cooking. But it's, it's kind of how, how I grew up. Spices to me are all about beautiful, natural flavor. To me, they're the essence of gorgeous, natural flavor. The plumper, the fatter, the more volatile oils, the better they're going to be. So, yeah, about flavor and not heat. Debunking that myth is, is an ongoing mission. But it's certainly something that I realized at a, an early start in the business that uh, that uh, that would be our journey. But it's interesting that you talk about your personal history with spices and also because you're sourcing direct from the farms and everything. You've, you've kind of got the history of the individual spices and that I mean, I've seen a few places in the United States that that make a, a, a point about where they get their spices from. But by and large, for most people, spices are just a thing. They don't, they don't have a history. They're just there on the shelf. And this was a bizarre thing. Indeed, it wasn't actually until 2014, um, my book publisher, Pavilion, made me look at how I create spices and made me look at how I see spices. And it wasn't really until then that I started to understand, the, like you're saying, the different ways that people look at things. My, my thought was, and indeed I wrote it down, is that, well, hang on, why do people put so much emphasis onto cacao and onto coffee beans and onto chicken and onto, and onto carrots and potatoes, as indeed there should be, I believe. I absolutely believe you should understand the provenance of your ingredients and the, and the husbandry of the meat and the meadows and the pastures that the, the, the animals are grazing on. To, that, to me, that's so important, just personally. So I was thinking, well, why isn't it with spice? If spice is the fundamental flavor, as I believe it is, why do we just cast it aside? And then you kind of jump forward into 2016. It wasn't until, until the very unfortunate Cuban incidents where by finally the, the, the fraudulent activity in the spice trade was becoming known. Um, the anaphylactic shocks caused through peanut shells being crushed and put into ground cumin. So uh, it wasn't then until 2016 that BRC, British Retail Consortium, had to start putting down various regulations. Perception of spice is so very varied. And to me, that's why, number one, I find it such an exciting industry to be in. And it's never going to be um, stayed. Does that mean that your spices are more expensive? We've worked very hard for that. So initially, I would have to say yes, because clearly I'm not one of the big players, Kerry McCormick's. Um, all these um, big, big companies, British Pepper and Spice, I wasn't buying the volume until very recently. Um, and the journey I took was I wanted to, uh, you might say, or if you speak to my financial controller, they might, they might have a different opinion of what I'm about to say, but I wanted to take the journey less trodden so that I understood it from the ground up. It's like with everything I've done in business, I believe if you don't get your hands dirty, how can you possibly understand how it works and therefore run your business efficiently? It's exactly the same with sourcing the spices. As I've mentioned, having just done the course here in Ireland, it was all about ingredients and finding the best. So, Yes, we were more expensive initially. And indeed, don't get me wrong, there is a certain premium now for the sustainability, for the IPM, because all this is driven to prove these things is driven by accreditation, certification, paperwork, etc., mm -hmm. etc. And that mm -hmm. has a certain cost to it. But we're not uh, we are commodity based price now for seven of our core spices. And that's my journey to be able to offer what I consider to be the most beautiful ingredient food commodity to everybody 
to make that which I see to be such a bright and beautiful and vibrant thing available to everybody. So I'm not here to be elitist or to, or to sort of say you can have that and you can't have this. And da, da, da. I want our gorgeous spices to be available to everybody because I, when I eat our spices, I go, wow, they're just amazing. But um, it's a commodity trade, so I have to, I have to bring, build up the volume. Yeah, and, and also, I mean, to be perfectly honest, if you're putting three teaspoonfuls of cumin into a dish, you know, what does it matter if it costs a little bit more? I mean, that's my attitude. No, you're absolutely correct. And, and you know yourself, without, I, would, I would always, re with respect, say to the chefs that I talk to, well, okay, uh, well, here we go. For an example, with mace and black pepper, a friend, um, Fingal Ferguson, Gabine uh, uh, Meats, he was using 60% less mace and 40% less black pepper when he was using our spices because they are full of these vibrant, you know, terpenes and polyphenols, the, the, the volatile oils. So it cost in use worked out to be roughly the same. Do you know what I mean? Well, that, that's interesting because that, that my, ne my next question was going to be about, about freshness because, again, a lot of people... They buy their spices and they use their spices, sure. But they, you know, how long how long has it been sitting at the back of the shelf, either in the store or indeed in your in your pantry? I remember the first ever one. Well, no, the first ever interview I did. Um, through, I went with a friend and met Sheila Dillon, and it was on her food program. Oh yeah, and that's when I first said fresh spice, and she asked me the question, "Well, what do you mean by fresh spice, Aaron?" So I explained what I mean. But people don't understand. But hang on, isn't a, isn't a spice? It's winnowed. It's dried. It's cured. How do you get the sugars to the volatile oils? Well, it's not like you pick a, you know, a, a spice off a plant or a bush or a tree or whatever, and then eat it. So no, what what we've done as green saffron is is to describe uh, a, a list of protocols which to us equals fresh spice. So including the provenance, the new season's crop. Um, but in essence, a fresh spice means more than just grinding it. Yeah, look, I totally believe you should grind fresh because at least that way, you know, as you have a bigger surface area, it's going to, there's more volatile oil, so it will smell fresher. But similarly, it'll also degrade over a quicker period of time once it's ground. Mm -hmm. So grinding a spice is, is fresh. But to me, fresh spice means sourced with love and care, making sure that it comes from a sustainable background. And more importantly, from an absolute freshness point of view, making sure that the cultivation about that spice has been for nothing more than to make that spice the best it can be, i.e. maximizing the volatile oils because it's grown in the right way, it's been nurtured the right way with the water, with the, this, that and the other, um, uh, and for, to produce something uh, for that year and eaten within that year, within that season. Next season comes around, it's fresh again. Should I be buying my spices fresh every year? You see, ideally, now and again, the conventional practices are such that, you know, it's commodity trading. So it could be stored for up to three years in a warehouse and then you know, two years in a warehouse. And then when the price is right, that spice company will release it into the retail world and all of a sudden. So it could be three years old before you even start. So this is, again, part of the disruption, the challenger position that Green Saffron is trying to take is how do we disrupt that supply chain? And, and you know, the answer is slowly, slowly catch your monkey. But. I suppose in essence with spices, and, and rather than sounding so pontificating all this madness, in essence, it's airtight, out of the light, little and often. So I would always say you don't need to store your spices in a fridge. They can just go into your press or in your cupboard, um, you know, so it's not above the, the cooker. And um, yeah, little and often, airtight and out of the light is the best thing, Jeremy. Right. I mean, this is a 
partly a personal question, but it's also about the business. And how, how, how much do you sell into Europe? Yeah, cool. So we've just started. We've just opened up. Um, we've now split our business into three pillars, pillar one, two, and three. And the third pillar is um, our commodities piece. So uh, we can say on, this, on your show here, this is the first, uh, the first time we're announcing it to public, that we've, uh, four weeks ago, opened up a brand new spice hub, the European Spice Hub in Holland. So whereby we now ship spices direct from India into our Dutch warehouse, and we're going to start trading there. Our journey is to be the European shop front window to Indian fresh spice from a business commodity perspective. So we're forecasting 12 containers this year. So 12 containers, you could say in a container anywhere between 12 to to 16 tons. So we're looking to be doing around 200 tons this year of, of whole spice. Yeah. Is that as a commodity trader or is that going into retail? That's as a commodity trader. Okay. So we would then sell that to an onward processor, someone, an ingredients company that might mix it to make a ready meal. They might mix it to make a spice blend. But with Green Saffron, we have that commodity trade piece. And then we also have the brand. So whereby with my brand, we sell sauces and sachets. Of, you know, to, to source to make 100% natural sources and uh, to make um, curries or indeed sachets to make a, a curry. So the brand proposition is, that we have linear line of sight right back to farm of where those spices, the essence of an Indian meal, have come from. It's great to be in the commodity trade business because that can then fuel our brand. And our brand is therefore, I know everything that's going into my spices, my brand, where it's coming from. So we have absolute chain of custody, uh, provenance around our spices. So has Brexit been a problem? I mean, I, I noticed that you're opening this hub in the Netherlands. Jeremy, again, I honestly thought, and I suppose most of us did, we didn't really, I always used to say last year, the trade will win, the trade will win. In other words, you know, if you want to stay in business, you're going to have to find a way to make it work. I didn't honestly, and I don't think I'm the only person, I did not anticipate the mess that it was going to create. So I thought we were going to be relatively um, get away with it, you might say, uh, quite, quite lightly, because of the way that we had built our supply chain. But I was so wrong. In, 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 why do I mean by that? Well, because we um, have a place in the UK that makes naan breads and we supply those into Europe. Well, we tried, we just did a little trial and, uh, on two pallets. It took those two pallets six weeks <laughs> to get going um, <laughs> because of all the paperwork. This is back in January. So that was disrupted and that's now balancing out a little. And then what we do, we produce our sources, in a, uh, our branded sources in Malta. And we had a consolidating partner in the UK, so they'll get shipped into Felix, though. And then from Felix, though, they would go onward. Well, clearly, we had to change that. So now they get shipped direct into Ireland. So, yes, is a quick answer. It was extremely disruptive. I, I was really clinging on with my fingernails to the goodwill of the retailers um, that they would keep us on their shelf, even though their shelves were becoming bare because my product wasn't available. So um, it was a flipping nightmare, if I'm honest with you, Jeremy, yeah, for a small company particularly. Well, you say small company, but with, with big ambitions. Yeah. Yeah, everyone has ambitions, Jeremy. And I'm just, I'm, I'm fortunate that we, um, we've, uh, I've got a really good support network. Um, we've got very good backing with our board. Um, I'm plugged into some fantastic companies. What I always say with our business model is that 
we know how to source the best spices in India, and I believe we make the best products <laughs> available in retail. Um, and I can hand over heart to say that they are 100% natural. There's nothing like them in the marketplace. All the stuff in the middle, I don't understand, Jeremy. I don't know how to warehouse or to demand plan or to, uh, or to move containers around the world. But there are so many experts out there that do know that. And so by collaborating together and by working to a collaborative business model, um, that's, um, that's the key, certainly, to our to, to green saffron anyway. And what about lifting your eyes beyond India? I mean, clearly India's a natural for you because you do, you do have family and contacts there. But, but what about, oh, I don't know, Thai spicing or Japanese spicing or Chinese spicing? Yeah, no, exactly. And I do create those blends because when I first of all started, I was um, like a mad little scientist for the first couple of years, two or three years. I, I've now got 522 blends. So be it for what? scallops, be it for... Yeah, well, no, this is what I did. I, apparently, I, 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 that's why the Americans love what I do and, and a lot of chefs. I'm very fortunate. I work with some fantastic Michelin and all sorts of star chefs around, around the world, actually, because I come up with blends that others don't necessarily. So, because um, I, oh, I could go on about, about the whole theory of life, but in essence, I come up with blends that others don't. Again, it comes down to the freshness of the spice because the spices that I'm having are probably more like they were back in the the sort of 17, 1600s when they're originally being traded because you know, they are so very fresh. So I was coming up with these blends and I still do for um, bespoke projects and, um, you know, to bring out the nuance of, of whatever the protein or the vegetable is that I'm working with. And, um, you know, I consider base, mid and high notes. I consider each spice to have a characteristic. And I was, for example, I think black cardamom, I always see that as a sort of uh, Jitin uh, smoking sort of gravelly voiced jazz singer in France in some Parisian bar somewhere because of its sort of lovely camphor smoky menthol notes and so anyway I apply characteristics and base mid high notes and understand the science a little bit and so I create sort of unique blends so that's um that's where I find my fun and that's where I have the real passion is creating blends around spices but um as I've just mentioned that I do get my kicks coming up with other blends I don't see spices as purely Indian I see Indian spices as beautiful flavor elements, flavor bombs, delicious things. From a, a business perspective, why India? Because when you get into any business, and how do I say this diplomatically, you, you, you soon discover the underbelly. And at least with having an Indian heritage, an Indian background and an Indian family, I know that we can uh, be more protective around our product to know that what we're saying we are delivering, we are indeed delivering. Now, I'm, I, I'm not putting any, cussing any aspersions, but... Uh, just that's how I tend to work because I understand how India works. Vietnam, Guatemala, Brazil, all these beautiful places. I, um, I need to have more scale and become more meaningful so that I can therefore be more, more sure that our whatever we were to source in another country would be done with the integrity that we would need it to be, I suppose, is, is what I'm saying. A final question for you, Aaron. Tell me what's one thing that, that you know that I probably don't know um, that would really improve my use of spices? When we're first of all learning about spices, Jeremy, we're told that we should roast or toast or fry our spices. Why are we told that, Jeremy? Mm, because it brings out the flavor, but what that means, I don't know. Good man, yourself. Perfect. What does it mean to bring out the flavor of something? I would question that. No, why are we told to roast and fro toast and fry our spices? Just like you said, because it brings out the flavor. Well, hang on a minute. If you've got something vibrant, fresh and delicious, what do you mean you have to do something to it to bring out its flavor? 
I disagree with that. What you're actually doing, you're changing the chemical composition of the spice when you're heating it. In my common parlance, I say you're, you're compressing all those base, mid and high notes into the middle. And therefore, you're getting a more toasted, smoky, rounded flavor, which is fantastic for various dishes. But it's not necessarily what you want for every dish that you cook. So to say the one question, what's the one piece of advice when working with spices is just to be more open to your own senses as, a, as opposed to necessarily following rules. And when we're told to roast and toast and fry our spices, I totally agree with that for things like lentil dishes, for target dishes, for legs of lamb. But sometimes you want to try and capture all the beautiful flavors and aromas you're getting with the raw spice. You want to capture that in your dish. So you don't necessarily need to be roasting, toasting and frying. Aaron Kappel of Green Saffron in County Cork. Do try it. Hold back some of the spices and don't roast them, but add them when you add the liquid. I think it does give the finished dish a somewhat brighter flavour. I'll put a link to the company's website in the show notes at eatthispodcast.com, although there's really no need as I'm pretty sure it would be the number one hit wherever you searched for green saffron. So that's my virtual episode from Ireland for this year's Hearsay Festival. Perhaps I'll dig out some of the earlier ones too. And those will also be in the show notes at eatthispodcast.com. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, please think about leaving a rating and a review wherever you get your podcasts, because it does help to put the show in front of new potential listeners. Thanks again to the supporters of the show, who make transcripts of each episode possible, as well as a lot of other things. And to all of you for listening. Till the next time, though, from me, Jeremy Churfus, and Eat This Podcast, goodbye for now. <laughs>